I'm fathery. I'm PJ. This is Dave. This is Brian. And this is Starfleet Boy. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 132nd installment of the Text Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we talk all about Star Trek all the time. And uh, tonight is a, a bittersweet moment as we say goodbye to our 23 weeks of consecutive Star Trek. We have two topics for you. Uh, one is going to be Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1. And then after that, we'll talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 3. Uh, we just had this very unprecedented 23 consecutive weeks of Star Trek. That is a franchise first in 55 years. That has never happened before. So that was uh, really cool. And now I'm depressed because I want more, damn it. I, I want I want 52 consecutive weeks of, of, of Star Trek Father, every it's year. it's time to throw yourself at the, uh, at the fanfic. Yeah. <laughs> No, I want I want it to be like real canonical stuff. All but, right, how about somewhere in between? How about some IDW comics? Uh, uh yeah, those are uh, really good on occasion. So I'll I'll have to uh, yeah. catch up on some of those. I'm I'm behind on on a few, but um yeah. So just starting off, we'll talk about Star Trek Discovery Lower Decks. We didn't get a chance to talk about the entire season as a whole. Uh, it was you know one week Lower Decks and then the next week Discovery. So there is no gap, which I'm not complaining. Um, but otherwise we probably would have done like a season overview. So we're just going to go ahead and do that now. Um, I'd like each person to just kind of say like their, their general thoughts or like general impression on like the entire season. And then we can kind of discuss among ourselves. Um, PJ, I'll let you go ahead and, uh, go first. What was your kind of overall takeaway of Star Trek Lower Decks season one? Well, uh, a breath of fresh air, uh, a cure to depression, uh, one of the best shows of uh, 2020, and uh, not the best animated show. I think I Solar Opposites is like number one for me, but which Mike McMahon also created. Uh, so Mike McMahon is like up on my list of guys they should really like consider giving more power to because I know he's 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 in this realm where he's like kind of making fun of Trek, but honoring it at the same time with, like, an umpteenth amount of Easter eggs and references and stuff like that. So all of that I enjoyed throughout. And the absurdity of it, like, one of my favorite episodes is Terminal Provocations, and that's just, like, so bonkers, and, like, I just love it. So none of the episodes are bad, and even the worst episode, I think, which is uh, much to do about Poimler, 
I didn't really like, but it's still a good episode, you know what I mean? Like, even the worst episode is good. So, it's the best Trek uh, I've seen in years. That's my opinion. Cool. Uh, Dave, what was your uh, take on Lower Decks Season (laughs) 1? You know how sometimes people are like, uh, when they're talking about like voting booth stuff, they'll be like, oh, my vote's going to cancel out your vote. (laughs) My vote's going to cancel out PJ's vote. (laughs) uh, so yeah, so, so I I never plugged into uh, Lower Decks. I kind of didn't expect to, and I wasn't able to. Uh, there's no big surprise there. Uh, it's why I, I wasn't uh, regularly on uh, y'all's discussions of it. I just I couldn't do it, but I also didn't want to be a Debbie Downer and uh, and all that. Um, you know, I I don't actually have a whole lot to add, and I I'll kind of sit back and let y'all talk about more about this in general. But um, uh, you know, for me, it's it's just there's there's a style of kind of animation and humor that's a little bit too. It's like everybody is turned up to ten or eleven. Everybody's a little coked up sounding all the time, and it, it sometimes even Disney and Pixar do that too. And I I, I kind of like their movies, but for the most part, but the the characters that are just a little that that turned up from reality, it's kind of off putting to me. And so I never plugged into the humor. I sort of liked bits and pieces of the drama. I did watch it all. I have seen it all, but yeah, it never, it never had its breakthrough for me. So I, uh, I was the man who did not laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Brian, uh, what do you, what do you got? Um, I, I, I'm kind of somewhere in between with you guys. I, I will absolutely say that this was a show that, that was at least by the third episode anyway, was, was exactly what they wanted it to be. And it succeeded and as far as succeeding at its goals, it might be the most successful season one of any Star Trek. Um, but the goals themselves were not things that entirely gelled with me. And I, I do love that if we're going to have all these different Star Trek series, I want them all to be very different. I want them to try new things. And so I refuse to criticize them for creating the show and then making it exactly what they wanted it to be very successfully. Um, Even if it's not quite what I wanted, um, I guess I just, I come to Star Trek when I want something a little more serious than Doctor Who or Star Wars. And so um, for, for, for something that silly, it's, it's always going to feel a little like uh, a little weird to me. Um, That said, uh, episode nine, was it the one on the holodeck? What was the name of that one? Crisis Point. Crisis Point was amazing and probably would make my top 10 Star Trek episodes ever. Um, So it was like they deliberately knew I was complaining and wrote an episode designed to win me over. Um, And uh, as long as I'm getting one of those every season, I'll I'll be there every season just for that. Uh, And there was, I, I can't deny, I laughed my ass off most of the episodes i just don't know i felt guilty about laughing at star trek and so that was a disquieting (laughs) feeling um but i'd be lying if i didn't say i laughed long and hard at it so i guess there's a my my ambivalent mixed feeling review (laughs) (laughs) cool well starfleet boy what about yourself uh, sometimes going la- last is awesome because I get to just say I agree completely with PJ and Brian. Well, hey, I'm going last. Much... I'm going <laughs> oh, last. Oh, that's right. So. Going yes. last in the panel. You're the host. You're I'm, always... I'm the headliner. Going <laughs> yeah. the opening headliner, act. True. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Well, um, the only thing I'll add to that though is that something. Uh, who said it in the chat? Um, I think it was Blue. Uh, uh, Lower decks. 
uh, is really awesome, though you can't deny that it's something unconventional and also completely new for... Oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> for for any franchise. And I agree. Like, I remember us talking about how, like, I couldn't think of another instance of, like, where a show was just, like, so meta or, like, so... You know, like, just so... It, it's, it's fan service, but it was also, like, really great. Like, so... The stories were fresh and awesome. Not fresh, but, you know, they were just a great fresh take on stuff that we really love about Star Trek. And uh, I love all the characters, and I just needed a laugh at the end of, like, some shitty weeks. And Lower Decks, like, I I couldn't think of a better way to laugh at something than Star Trek, which we always make fun of it anyways among friends and, and fans. And so it was great to kind of, like, have that experience with everyone. So, yeah. Cool. Well, I'll just uh, go ahead and give my thoughts, but uh, building on what you were just uh, ending on, uh, Starfleet Boy, about you know having a this this nice happy thing to return to. I actually rewatched the entire season uh, like like two weeks ago. When we were in like the last week of Discovery. I started rewatching Lower Decks in preparation for this, just to uh, refresh myself on it. And watching like that first episode was so fun to just return to those characters and to the the uss cerritos and it's kind of like our friend uh gary or or trekker prize how he describes star trek like how uh guinan described the nexus and uh star trek generations how it was like happiness and joy as if like joy was something you could wrap up in like a warm blanket you know that's how gary has always like described uh star trek and and to the point where he started the the warm blanket podcast and that's exactly how I felt watching this episode of Lower Decks. It was like 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 a return, like this nice, comfortable, like warm blanket I could just like wrap myself up in and have fun. And I don't know, maybe I was just like in a bad mood and I like needed that to cheer me up or what. And seeing that trailer at the end of the first episode, I'd never watched that when when it first released. I I stopped watching when the trailers come on because I don't want to spoil the next episode. So this was the first time I watched like that season long sizzle reel that they have. And when I when I saw that and like the clips they put together in that, I just got so excited to revisit this entire season of, of the show that I really like. And yeah, it is like unusual. It is definitely, you know, breaking the mold to do an animated comedy Star Trek. Uh, but I want the diversity of shows. If we're going to have all these multiple shows on the air, I, I think it is a great inclusion. I think it also balances out some of the things that we're missing in, in Picard or Discovery it was nice to come to a place that's not as hyper violent or as like like uh, galactic level like high stakes that, that like the apocalypse is about to happen. You know, it was nice just to to see like a more kind of like wholesome, cheerier uh, Star Trek. I've never I've never treated Star Trek as like a comfort food or or said like I like watching it because it's like reassuring. I know everything's going to be okay in the end. I I know a lot of fans describe star trek that way and that's why they they like it and that's why they return to it i was never like a comfort food type watcher but i guess i am now with lower decks uh, that being said every episode did have at least one thing in there that i was like a little too stupid that like i wish they had like <laughs> dialed it back but but overall i enjoyed all the episodes the the only one that i kind of dislike sorry pj but it's it's actually um uh what is it the one that you just Terminal provocations uh, terminal provocations yeah with with fletcher it's, it's comedic <laughs> brilliant and badgie right uh yeah yeah ba- i'm actually wearing a badgie t-shirt <laughs> i think that's my i think that's my least favorite episode but no, like I, I had a great time uh brian i definitely agree with you on crisis point 
being a, a really phenomenal episode of, of not just Lower Decks, but of Star Trek in general. And yes. that season finale, I was telling Dave the other day that I actually, like, now that I think about it, I think this is probably the best season finale we've gotten since 1999 when, when DS9 went off the air. I can't think of anything like the last two seasons of Voyager or Enterprise or Discovery or Picard that like ended on a stronger high note. So that's uh, that, that's where I'm at with uh, Lower Decks. I do want to ask, does anyone have like some some other favorites? Those were mine, like the last two episodes. I also like really like the the first three I thought were pretty strong. And then uh, Cupid's Errant Arrow. I got, I, I got a big kick out of just exploring Boimler's love life. I thought it was kind <laughs> of uh, hilarious. Uh, I, I thought that was like a, just like a cool sci-fi episode and like the rich people on the planet, you know, all that stuff. But what about y'all? What, what were some of the, the highlights? Well, whoever, before, whoever wants to go I, I do have to jump in and say, clearly you love the show. If you're, you have the t-shirt for your least favorite episode. <laughs> <laughs> he just had, the, well, he's, he's so part iconic. Of the t-shirt program. He gets uh, loot crates of t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I actually like chose this t-shirt, but I just, I just think Badgie is, a, I, I'm not even saying like, I love like the concept of Badgie. I think he's like a really great mascot for lower decks, you know, love it or hate it. I, I, I think Badgie kind of like represents the show in a, in a lot of ways. He I, uh, he showed up in the season finale, right? Yes, yeah. and I love, I absolutely love that episode. So <laughs> he was he was responsible for uh, the Bear Packs leader uh, the falling <laughs> for Shaq. I loved Crisis Point and the finale. I think those are my two favorite, but I really love them all. Like I can't think of one episode that I didn't really just enjoy. Veritas was good, right? That one with Kurt, yeah, Kurt, that was episode Kurt, eight. Kurtwood Smith. Uh, oh, was he? Uh, did he do a voice? He, uh, yeah, he was the prosecutor. So many people yeah. did voices. Yeah, and it has just this absurd, yeah. silly ending where it's like, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a trial. It's, it's just <laughs> it's customary. Oh, I was right. actually thinking about that episode the other day, and I thought they did the same gimmick effectively in uh, that DS Nine episode, season one, where the guys put oh, them move all along in a home. game. Move along yeah. home, yes. Uh, yes. But this was Alamarain, done much better. <laughs> count to four, Alamarain, then three more. Yeah, yeah. Both of them have the same <laughs> twist. That see. what looks like a very dangerous situation to, was just some aliens having fun, and they're kind of shocked that no one else realized it. Um, and uh, but but I will say the lower decks did it better. There there wasn't enough other interesting things to justify move along home for, for 40 minutes, <laughs> even if it did have a good twist at the end, whereas this had something to chew on all the way through. Yeah. Dave, just, just tell us like the, the one thing that you liked the most and the one thing you hated the most. Oh God. I didn't like anything on that show. <laughs> I don't, I, I'd like, just say you I liked, liked the, the Titan. Most- or you liked uh okay yeah yeah i liked i liked seeing that i you know i i think i messaged you this fathery uh on discovery they've i I can think of several uh, between that and picard several times when they've broken out the theme of uh star trek shows and i've never quite felt it for the most part they dropped the voyager theme in with some seven stuff and then they of course threw out what the the tos theme was it uh in the season finale of discovery yeah and you know, it usually seems to hit at a time when I'm not really liking what they're doing. So although I can respect the idea, like it could be something that really gets to me uh, when they do that. Most of the time it hadn't worked. I thought that uh, the, you know, Jerry Goldsmith's TNG theme when the Titan sweeps in and pew pews a bunch of 
bad guy Packlitz uh, was was pretty cool and 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 better than than the live action counterparts recently. So there's uh, there's that. Uh, yeah, what did I dislike the most? It's it's it, it's it's not. There was no like one specific scene that I was like that's ridiculous or whatever. It was all you know kind of equally uh, equally goofy. I have a question for you, Dave. Do you consider? Would yeah, okay. you be able to consider this particular animated series canon? Mm, uh, not really. Uh, I kinda, agree with sorta. you there. The way yeah. the way I, I don't actually usually think of those kind of things. I, I, I canon isn't something that affects my enjoyment of stuff too much. But um, to to me, to me, this is sort of something I've I guess I've done with sort of some superhero comics and stuff before. Uh, and the, and the notion of it that this might be a sort of we even talked about this on the podcast, a, a telling that, that, you know, somebody's spinning a story for their buddy drunk at a bar or whatever, like, oh, let me tell you about this thing that happened with Meritor and Boimler the other week. And they tell a kind of goofy, exaggerated version, but the basic core events happened. I'm okay with it. I think if all the core events were uh, were true, but the sort of the silly stuff yeah. was... So this is Mariner pretty heavily into drink number six uh at a bar <laughs> yeah. telling of the what she's been up to for the last year in your yeah yeah exactly i i can i can work with that but yes if you know if if say the uh, apocalypse were to show up on picard and reflect who what's going on here or uh i think i prefer not to see badgie um in a like uh badgy fighting it out with um uh what god what's the sphere data computer zora uh zora Zora. yeah yeah uh i actually you know i'd probably watch an animated little short that had him fighting it out it would would work it would work to put zora into a lower decks type show better than it would work to take badgy and and put him in a discovery type show yeah (laughs) right but uh, yeah, I'm not going to be particularly offended if they uh, reference uh, some of the events in there or somebody's looking at a, a list of officers one time on Discovery and they see Mariner and Boimler in there that I'm not going to be like, fuck. <laughs> now <laughs> I, now I want them to do a time travel episode where they run into the Discovery crew and the, Disco- the Dis- all the Discovery pl- stuff is played completely straight, just like it is on the live action version. And and they're all like, oh my god, this place is so violent and dark and nobody has any fun. And <laughs> they need to they need to um uh have like an injury to the eye in the style of uh, yeah. was, is it Kurtz is that a Kurtzman thing, did we determine? Well Rutherford yeah. is already Dave, there, but Dave, I couldn't yeah, watch that's true. uh I couldn't watch Beavis and Butthead because of the animation style. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I kind of like Beavis it. and Butthead uh in like sm- the small doses. Yeah. Uh, I think I think I like uh I, I'm you know and I'm not usually actually a big uh comedy animation guy, but um uh Mike Judge that King of the Hill was was like much much better, but um but there were the sort of the the dry roots of it in Beavis and Butthead, I guess. But in the live chat Andrew Hayes is asking me Fathery, was there any 47 references in Lower Decks? I can't recall, lol. And, uh, Andrew, there were at least two in the episode Temporal Edict. That was the one where the captain put everyone on a timer to complete their assignments. Anytime Boimler did something, like, really competent or heroic, there was always a 47 on, on a ticking clock somewhere in the background. And uh, I think there might have been a, another one, but that, that's the one that, that I recall right off the top of my head. Uh, Starfleet Boy, what was your favorite part of, of Lower Decks? Your favorite episode? Any characters that really stood out? 
yeah i think i really love i love boims uh and mariner i think uh actually all of them like i i just i'm start like i'm starting to think of all the great moments with each of them something uh that really uh was one of my favorite moments was the uh, ascension what was the name of the episode where it it, was it ascension like was that what was the episode called where uh that was a moist vessel wasn't it moist vessels thank you uh where i'm calling it ascension which is probably another star trek episode but um (laughs) I, i really enjoyed that and when i I'm a big fan of Haley Joel Osment as an adult. Um, I think he's really funny and, and like, I, like I like him in future man. I don't know if you guys have seen that. No, I um, haven't seen him in anything except for that Bruce Willis movie. Oh, wow, that's right. Um, but yeah, he was, he's phenomenal. And when I, when I, when I realized that that was him, it was just like, so it was like a real delightful moment for me. So I really liked that. And then I just, I liked everything that was happening in that episode with the, with the ship, you know, the encounter at far point ending and like, uh, the character finally, uh, you know, he's, he's this, it, like, he's an imposter the whole time, but at the end he actually does like, <laughs> like you know, like, hey, sometimes you gotta fake it till you make it. Baby. You make it yeah. like, like I, I thought the gags worked and I just really like, I think like, um, uh, Tendi, it, it made Tendi a little bit more of a complex character. I thought, and uh i thought that was a great moment for that character because she you know she was kind of like just always happy before that and then we find out there's a little more depth depth to that um and so i i really liked it so yeah i I think i think those kinds of that's the thing about lower decks is like i I, dave was saying earlier like how it's not canon or all that but i bet you could really it it has nothing can i say something about that i mean he made a point about the main story points that happen you can kind of imagine that the live action version of all of these episodes excluded the the absurdity. You know what I mean? They, they were different in a, a way and enough in my mind that I could say, yes, Mariner and Boimler are real. Cerritos was real. The, the, uh, the baseline of what happened in the season could have happened in live action. But there are some things like Terminal Provocations, which is the most absurd episode of the entire season. You can't do that in like I said, you know what I mean? It's well, it's just it's the reverse of, it's like the reverse of what the motion picture novelization I think tried to do with the original series. I think there's a <laughs> suggestion. You know what I'm talking about, right, Father? It's like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's like a suggest. There's a suggestion that the original series are like, you know, recreations of the actual adventures, and that like, yeah. you know, and so on and so and, forth. So, and if that's what yeah. you want to tell yourself you know for your head canon then you know more power to you everyone should interpret it however they choose to interpret it i mean like like for me i'll go by the rules like if it's on screen then it's canon then it happens and that's probably why like some of the things like like uh terminal provocations i think like go a little too far kind of bother me but uh no like it's definitely you know i think that's kind of open to interpretation just like i think the the official rules are just if it's on screen it's canon but the word canon i mean unless you're if you say head canon that's fine but if you say canon that's kind of defined by you know cbs and things so you you can say it breaks continuity um and and that maybe it happens in an alternate timeline but to say it's not canon at least not without sticking the word head in there is uh is seems like just just deliberately malforming the words or, or butchering the definitions of things. Let's just say in Picard, uh, 
Captain Boimler or some kind of like Boimler is lieutenant or first officer shows up. He's play he, he Captain or Mariner Captain Mariner sure. shows up like you know they're aged up a little to fit the time, and uh, they meet Riker and they reminisce about that time. The Titans swooped in and saved their asses against the pack lids and stuff like that. I could totally that, buy that. Yeah. You know, what there's I mean? that that new book. There's that Riker Troy on the Titan book. It's a Picard prequel that just came out. I think last week. Uh, I have not read it, but someone told me that there is a reference to oh, Lower cool. Decks in there. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. awesome. You could yeah. you could actually see the whole pack lead thing even happening in my mind. Everything. I think everything, just like what PJ was saying, like is plausible, but not the absurd, you know, not the extreme absurdity of it. But you could see the Packleds making a move like that and like being, you know, somewhat formidable. And then you could also see like in Picard era, uh, Riker laughing about it. And if it were a scene that we just, like, if it was one of those off scenes in Ten Forward where someone just like makes a reference to something we'll never see, that's what Lower Decks is, right? Like it's that reference to something we'll never see. Uh, which is which is what I another thing that I love about it. Yeah, but we do see it because we watch the show. Yeah. No, I know, I know. I was being, I don't know what I was being. I was being yeah. uh, sanctimonious. Well, I'll say this about like, we're talking a lot about like the pack lids and stuff. Is that those last two episodes added this uh, gravitas to the show that yeah. really made me plug? It was something that like the show had kind of been missing. Yes. Um and and the way that like they they took the serious threats so serious when it finally happened in the in the finale episode when you get that that sequence of the the USS Solvang uh being destroyed by that Packled ship yeah. before we knew it was a Packled ship it's like so scary and like stressful and like like painful to like watch like the starfleet ship get destroyed it is, I like can that just remember yeah. the socks though i still it is you're right you're right about everything you're saying yeah right like, before that there was the right, the right after the some sock. goofy stuff that i thought was a yeah. bit too goofy but the, yeah like that had so much weight and impact and yeah. Yeah. a lot of the times when when we see like uh deadly things in discovery or picard it doesn't have the same weight and so i thought that was that was a really cool thing that they they're allowed to do in lower decks by being so funny and lighthearted. You know, it wouldn't be funny if people were dying like in every episode, like when there's like a zombie outbreak and like everyone's cured at the end and no one died. We can laugh at it. If there's like people that like are, are killed in some of these, these antics that would, wouldn't be as humorous. But then when they, they do like a serious thing, they're able to like switch gears. And I, I, I really, I really liked the way that the show was able to, uh, kind of, uh, change stance and, and and go into like a more like serious mode when it needed to and that that uh ending that that uh finale cliffhanger of boimler on the titan um that that is a big hook a big draw to come back for season two i want to see what happens with helm and mariner i enjoyed that uh rivalry turn into a friendship and how it, it took a bitter turn because she's mad that he that he abandoned her so I really want to see what happens next. Uh, what were y'all's thoughts? I guess on like the ending, and and uh, are you looking forward to yeah. seeing where that goes in season two? Yeah, well, I definitely thought the last two episodes were the strongest. Uh, they they did a lot to redeem the show uh, and make me feel it was something more than just 
jokes. Yuck, yuck. Those last two, especially this uh, the nine, but also ten. They they were very strong. I guess it feels to me less of a cliffhanger and more of tune in next season and you get to see Riker and Troy and the Titan. <laughs> it feels like to me, but that's okay. I, I'll shill for that or whatever. I'll, I'll show up for that. And they definitely started uh, acknowledging that Mariner was was acting out and that her behavior was dysfunctional uh at least sometimes i thought made did a lot went a long ways to making me feel like this show might be better than i thought it was because it seemed to spend most of the episodes just saying isn't mariner great as she as she does all these shenanigans gets up to all these shenanigans and i was kind of like uh, no no she's kind of causing problems and hurting people but nobody's calling her on it and i was kind of glad to see okay yeah they are gonna call her on it it is actually going the show will actually acknowledge that and thus just by by being a little more introspective they earned a lot more affection from me uh and and stuff on it so yeah i i i did enjoy that i also as far as how the show uh, the season ended it kind of felt like they were making a bit of a statement about star trek in general or about the federation that this idea that they'd uh that Starfleet is bad at maintaining things. They they set things up, they discover things, but they don't necessarily maintain them well. They kind of move on and things can then start to crumble away without uh without you know Starfleet coming out back to help out and check on things. And there were a lot of stories that kind of seemed to vaguely go along with that idea that the Cerritos is running around putting out these these fires in places that had been fixed by ships like the Enterprise in the past but now things were were you know perhaps the, the, the perhaps less uh, becoming less stable and it kind of felt to me like the show had this more ds9 please less tng where tng <laughs> was always discover the new thing planet of a week and then move on ds9 was about building community and building stability and and creating a healthy sustainable structures um and the show seemed to have a sort of a message but maybe i'm reading too much into that no i definitely agree with you on that uh brian and i, I was uh, a little conflicted about how i felt about that notion of starfleet is good at, yeah like mariner says at exploration but not as good uh, at maintaining and the, i i came around to it because i think the the notion of the second contact ship you know, it's a lot less glamorous than being the first contact ship, which is, you know, typically in the Star Trek we see, the episodes we see, the Enterprise. But it kind of gives this show purpose and a mission statement about, like, adding value to, like, that second contact. But, like, there needs to be a guy out there, you know, following up on Beta 3 and the Packleds and stuff like that. And so I, I kind of like that kind of being incorporated into like the show's mission statement and i could see that being used for more you know humorous stuff and they could also milk some serious stories if they are going to do more serious stories like like we kind of saw in the season finale so i'm interested to see where they take that in season two and also you know what they do with with the the character dynamic between uh captain freeman and ensign mariner how they kind of embody that uh um lower deck commanding officer dynamic and their dysfunctional mother daughter dynamic. And I, I get the, the feeling that there are kind of arcs planned that we've 
we've barely tapped into. We've barely started. This first season was just very much about like introductions, and now we'll kind of see like where these dynamics between the characters can can grow and evolve. But uh, on that note, um, does anyone have like any standout characters that they want to talk about? Like, like mine is Mariner. I think she's one of the most relatable characters in Star Trek. I don't know what that says about myself, um, but uh, I, I I I also like that they they did eventually show that yeah well like Brian was saying there is some dysfunction to her even though she tries to to, to come off as like like this this perfect whiz kid who, who's who's uh just this confident badass at everything like no like she actually has like some issues she needs to work out i think the relationship between her and boimler can can play out in interesting ways how they're both kind they both have like so much potential he is kind of like 30% a really good starfleet officer you know he's very uh efficient at a lot of things he's very like like by the book can get a lot of things done kind of well-rounded and like skill sets it would seem but then he has like 70 percent of like well he 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 gets too nervous or like he's he's a bit of a scaredy cat or like he, he can't like break the rules or get like too like creative or outside the box and i think mariner is kind of the other way around i think mariner is like 70 percent starfleet badass and she has like this 30 percent dysfunction and i feel like the two of these characters together will balance each, each other out and will make each other a better person a better starfleet officer by the end of the show but what, what, what about uh the, the rest of y'all who who wants to talk about like some of the characters that, that they like or some of the relationships i i thought the characters were all great in veritas i thought that was like a standout episode because it had that cool you know secret mission and like you know just like finding out about like what was the crew with the blinds on you know with the the sensors on their the, eyes the special like the, ops guys the special you know, ops, black guys. ops guys like, there's just so many gags and we got so many like we got to see the the vulcan museum and like uh rutherford in that episode you know it, i i keep just it was a good showcase it. it was a good yeah, showcase was, of all the characters showcase. and i think were we talking about uh, on this discussion about how that could have even been a pilot kind of like that was like such a good episode to introduce everyone sort of uh, yeah, i don't know if that's if I, I recall that, that here yeah. on on the other on my show or whatever but mariner is probably the most obnoxious character because she's the one who most feels like she couldn't actually exist in starfleet as my brain envisions it uh at least <laughs> as as far as it la- lasting very long <laughs> well yes but even even there comes a point where she doesn't even want to be there. She's nepotism works, but you have to have the person, other person willing to take advantage of it. Whereas I like Tendi just because she felt like the most pl- uh, the the most plausible character as far as I could absolutely see. I, I could see her in a you know showing up in Picard or something, and they wouldn't have to make ma- they wouldn't have to t- turn her down a bunch. Uh, yes, she's kind of turned up to eight or nine, but but she also felt like it was a believable eight or nine that there are people who are like that a lot of the time. So yeah, I think Tendi was probably my favorite. Um, it was interesting. My best friend thought Mariner loved Mariner uh, uh, as well. So there, there's clearly a lot of love for her out there, um, even if I was kind of struggling to to come to terms with the character. I would say I think the the defining trait of Boimler is he does a good job if he gets time to do his homework. As long as he gets time to do his research and prepare for the thing, he usually does a pretty good job. It's just that there's so much unprepared stuff that happens and he just goes to pieces when he has to improvise yeah he he, he can't improvise yeah 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 um 
that that also might come from like a lack of confidence too, where you know he kind of needs to do his homework in order to like feel more confident about doing something. So yeah, that might be something that he can learn from from Mariner. Yeah, whereas Mariner never prepares for everything, so it's always improv. <laughs> so right, it so, doesn't matter. PJ, what about you? Uh, Rutherford, <laughs> like for sure, he's he's the most likable character in the entire show. Tendy's okay. Uh, Mariner. You know, she grows on you. By the end, I'm like really, uh, I'm for her, but I'm kind of like delighted in the fact that she's so irritated that Boimler gets to go on the Titan and she's like, she's really pissed off. So uh, I like that aspect, <laughs> like how they, uh, but, uh, Shax was cool. I like Captain Freeman. I like Ransom. Uh, yeah, I like them all really, but. My favorite is probably Rutherford upon like rewatch. It's interesting because Rutherford to me, he's the one who seems the most like a cartoon character with the least amount of depth, but they kind of set up a story for him with his whole like memory being erased. I don't know oh, yeah. if they're going to build I on that so. in season two think... or no, kind of I... just like hit the reset button. Yeah. I, and I, I'd like to see them build like on his, it. Uh, she's going to help him become Rutherford again, I guess. No, Tendi is so like like how could anyone not like Tendi? It's like that that was like her whole thing. Like she hates like when people when people don't like her, which I I know people that are like that in real life. And so, uh, like they 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 come up as like real sweet, and then like the 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 other side of that coin, it's almost kind of like a selfish desire to be like real sweet and nice to everyone because like it crushes them to not be liked. So they, uh, but yeah, and, and um, Noel Wells who does the voice is from Texas, so I got to give her a shout out. Um, and all these people are really funny. Like they, they did a really good job with the casting. Um, and all the, they, they all like have like the perfect voices for these characters. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm glad that these, all these people are coming back with the exception of uh, poor old uh, Shax, but at, le- at least he went out the way he wanted to go out. And he's like, <laughs> this is the greatest day of my life. So, <laughs> it was really awesome. Um, Ransom stood out to me too, among the upper deckers. Like I really liked his character. I like Jerry O'Connell a lot, like just in real life. And I grew up watching all his shows. I, I didn't realize how much Jerry O'Connell stuff I had seen until like I started realizing it. And then it was like, one oh, of those yeah, guys seen, just like shows up and everything. He's, Did yeah, you ever he's turn down a job? Everything. But I mean, I, I as a kid, like I watched My Secret Identity. That was like my favorite show. Like I wanted to be that character. I wanted to get superpowers. And he stuff plays like Sheldon's that. older brother in Big Bang Theory. So that was cool. Hmm. well let me ask all y'all this just one last thing on lower decks then we'll move on um was there anything that kind of like disappointed you in the show or that you hope that they'll do better in season two or you feel like they just really dropped the ball on like like one thing for me is i really liked in the third episode when they set up that attraction between ransom and mariner on the subject of ransom and i kind of hate that that never went anywhere they kind of hint at it and uh, the the episode with the substitute captain when she's like, so have you seen Ransom's torpedo or whatever she's, uh, which I thought was kind of like a stupid thing to say anyways. But uh, I mean, like, uh, I, I thought that would be yum, like yum. really cool if these, <laughs> yeah, if, if these if these two characters, uh, you know, th- it would be like that classic like um kind of opposites attract and like like oh like they seem like they'd make like a terrible couple, but you know you you can't pick who you fall for, so that'd be it'd be one of those like really exciting romances to watch play out i think there's like a 90 percent chance that they're gonna do something with that i hope so 
I was hoping having an Orion character, we'd learn a significant amount mm. of, about Orion culture. Me um, too. They they crop up a whole lot in my role playing games because uh, I have a player who always plays one. But uh, and I'm always kind of would like some more. I, I'm always falling back on all the old FASA role playing game books for material on them because there's not a lot out there uh, canonical. Um, and uh, so I would have liked to have had. Uh, I, I would like to have more of you know Tendi's culture and what as far as her home culture or or at least a reason why if she doesn't do any of that Orion culture stuff like oh well yeah me and my my parents hated the whole pirate thing and we have nothing to do with that anymore um and and we we decided we were going to live like like standard federation citizens all the way uh, or something <laughs> you know kind of like Roe Ensign Roe kind of said she rejected the religious beliefs of the Bajorans as I recall mm. Um, so, and even that would be something because it's, it's, it, it gives us a shade of, of how the different factions and, and branches of Orion culture interact with each other. Yeah, totally. That was something that I asked for and when me and, and, uh, truck on the tube, uh, actually did, did a text truck podcast on the top five things we wanted to see in, in lower decks. And th that was the one that like, I didn't get, I wanted, I wanted to see the Orion culture explored with an Orion character. But I, th I think my other ones were, I wanted a, I wanted a non TNG cameo. And I think I got that with Landrew. I wanted a animated series connection and, and we got that, uh, a, a, a few of them. Um, I wanted, I wanted to laugh in every episode and I did that. Uh, so most of the things I asked for, I got, but unfortunately I didn't get that deeper exploration of, of the Orion culture. I think it'd be funny if we meet like Tindy's family and her dad is like a Tony Soprano type, like mafia Don or something. <laughs> They're all like criminals and stuff. Uh, I like that. They do mention it a little bit. Who though. would you it... want to guest star as uh Tindy's father? Like what, what, fa what actor would you want to voice that? Oh, um, I don't know. There's so many people who do like a good, like a kind of like Marlon Brando type or like a, Oh, who did, who, Hey, who did they get in the, the, that first episode of Mandalorian season two to be the, uh, the gangster there, John Leguizamo. Uh, John, John Linguizamo. How do you say his name? John, is that, Leguizamo. Is that right? John Leguizamo. Yeah, he did like a really good like mafia voice yeah, for yeah. you know like that that fat alien at the watching the the pigmen fight. <laughs> yes, the the cyclops uh, alien. Yeah, guy. he's a cyclops dude. So um, he would. I, I want what Blue suggested to happen. I don't know where or how it would happen, but you guys should do a role playing game, a Star Trek role playing game online with brian as the gm i here here that's <laughs> i would love to do that but brian says he's not good at doing like short campaigns so I, oh, I don't we know. Do, it would have to be like an like ongoing series i think it should be I, i'm terrible at doing one shot so it would yeah. have to be like a a four at least a fourth uh, a, a four episode thing or something to, to tell oh, any well, that's story like totally doable but, there's like so many but, weeks of no star trek right yeah <laughs> we can totally so, i mean yeah I, if you guys are interested i i could throw something together dave, um, dave is good idea. at the one shot stuff though i've, I've played yeah. in some dave rpgs i would be happy to be a pc so <laughs> yeah well, one shots are uh, where that that is more of my thing uh but i haven't run a lot of star trek games just a handful over my over the years i just know that all the writers from discovery would be watching us yeah that's true <laughs> <laughs> just looking for stuff to steal it can be tricky if you're the gm who's not as up on the star trek trivia as your players are so uh, <laughs> that's probably true of almost any you know big complex universe gaming universe mm -hmm. but but it yeah. is but so there and, is 
I, I think the correct thing to do in that is as the player, you can maybe suggest things to the GM, but at the end of the day, like it's his game. And if he says, you know, well, <laughs> that might, that might be how it is in Canon, but this is how it is in my game. Yeah. You, you have to just, it's accept not as that. if Star Trek uh, license stuff has not broken Canon. Oh, itself, yeah. yeah. So. But yes. Uh, and, and thank you for correcting my gender usage. Uh, sorry, please, <laughs> but I, I think that's all that we have to say on, on lower decks. Uh, I am an enjoy. I'm enjoying all of these, uh, comments we're getting comments, in the live yeah, audience exciting so, so stuff please going on in there. please continue and and uh audience give us some of your thoughts on star trek discovery season three because we're going to talk about that starting now we're just uh going to do the, the same thing we did a second ago kind of each give our our uh kind of opening uh thoughts and then have, we'll have a deeper conversation but this time let's go in like the opposite order like i go first then like we'll end on pj how's that sound that's, that's some good. bizarre world shit Okay, well, let's do um, it. So the season three, it it had a a lot of changes. This is the most drastic change in a, in a show ever in Star Trek. I think um, I don't know what else you would compare this to. Maybe like Deep Space Nine getting the Defiant in season three might be like the closest thing. Just like conceptual shift to something very different. <laughs> The only thing I could think of is not a, a show thing. Sorry to interrupt you, but it would be like from TOS to the movies. Like that's the only thing that I think comes close. We're up from TOS to TAS or TAS. Yeah, there you that go. really didn't change much. Though. No, it well, didn't. Now, now it's a cartoon. Yeah, the movies <laughs> did actually. That you know that sort of works because the movies kind of moved to a sort of more action centric, character driven vibe. A little yeah. bit away from the uh, high concepts of the standalone episodes, so yeah, that's a little bit about what like like yeah. what's kind of changed here. Especially if you cut it as from TAS to the motion picture. Whoa, <laughs> that's a gear shift. <laughs> but go on, Father. What do, what else? Uh, there there were a lot of things behind the camera that kind of changed too, like like with Michelle Paradise taking over the writing and having like one consistent leader in the writer room for an entire season. First time it ever happened in the history of Discovery. And I, I think there were a lot of benefit to that. There were a lot of things that got better. Some things changed the same, and some of the problems I have with the show were still there, but some of the strengths were still there. And honestly, nothing got worse. So it's an overall, like, net positive for sure. And I, I just, this last week, binge-watched the entire season. I rewatched all 13 episodes <laughs> And I actually enjoyed it more the second time through. Uh, the uh, problems I had before, like a lot of them, like weren't as as big of a it problem for me. I, I had some disappointments in the finale, but last night I watched the last three episodes back to back to back. And if you kind of take it all in as like a two hour forty minute movie, uh, you know, like a big like End Game or Infinity War type movie. And I like the things that I liked in the penultimate episode, kind of um canceled out some of my dislikes in the, in the final episode so it, got, it actually was a more enjoyable experience for you or more balanced experience uh, i i think the show has a lot more potential going into season four than i was kind of scared of the season three are they gonna be able to create like this this future uh 32nd century are they gonna be able to pull all that off and now that they've done that i'm very excited about season four the new characters they introduced i i i'm i was kind of sad to see anson mount uh go away but Hey, we have Admiral Vance, we have Kovic, we have Book, Adira, Gray. I love all these new characters. So, yeah, I, I think I, 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 after rewatching season three, I think I can firmly say that even though I don't think season three was perfect, I think that 
the the show has done its best season to date and i am very excited about season four there are some things i would still like to see them handle a little bit better maybe like a a little bit less like the big actiony climactic season finale but hey Overall, this was a, a much more tame season of Discovery. There weren't as many big uh, action-y set pieces. That were, I take that back. It's not that there were, were less of that, but there were more like slow talky moments, like Unification 3 that was just like a big courtroom drama. Or uh, there is a Tide where we had all that negotiation stuff between Osira and Vance. So that was stuff that they weren't really doing a lot of in seasons one and two of Discovery. So uh, yeah, that... It's uh, not perfect, but pretty good and better than seasons one and two. I'm excited for season four. Starfleet Boy, what about you? Same thing. Uh, I just The only thing I would add on to that is just that like um, it really felt like Discovery was home. Like this felt like where Discovery should always have been, you know, and, and it just like, uh, like I, I actually didn't realize how, uh, how wonderful it is to be like free of like my Star Trek continuity qualms and knowledge until i saw it happening like so you know discovery season one and two with with as much especially season two was i thought a leap above season one like as much as i enjoyed that this was like 10 times more enjoyable just because i didn't have to think about all these things like well no that doesn't fit here why do the klingons look like that or this and that and i know i know like and i and i've made you know for the most part i've made peace with a lot of the things that discovery decided to update and change uh you know not fitting in with what i was expecting and what like you know should kind of like if you're if you're a stickler for those things should be but yeah season three just like was free of all that and i got to just really enjoy the show and so my mind for my mind my kind of mind uh it was very liberating and nice to just sit back and relax and kind of enjoy the story that was being told i definitely had my problems with it uh, with a few things here and there uh, but overall it was just such a great season uh, over of, of Star Trek period hey Starfleet boy uh, you, you were saying that um, you think it, it's it's sort of where the show needs to be would you probably agree though that uh, that the season the first two seasons uh, establishing it in the present uh, ish uh, of uh, of uh, Kirk's era were, were necessary to get it to where it needed to be I think that if they had started it like with a ship that was lost in in the future, like in the thirty second century, in the thirty second yeah. century, uh, without any of that stuff, it could have been strong. But you're absolutely right. We we can't just erase the other two seasons. So yes, this particular iteration of Discovery, what we got, does rely a little bit on things. But but then at the same time, I would have to say that like you, I think, and I'd love to see this in action. I would suggest for someone to just start with discovery season three and see how lost they really are because you don't really need to know a lot. Maybe the mirror universe stuff makes more sense perhaps. And, and Giorgio in general. Uh, but outside of that, I think overall, like I think you can still really follow along and, and really enjoy the ride. That'd be kind of interesting challenge. I'd be curious to hear from somebody who started on season three. Yeah. I would say that the key thing they pull for, by having those previous seasons is they explain very clearly why our heroes don't know what the hell's going on, and thus they can feed that information to the audience in a natural way as our heroes uncover it. Whereas if they were a ship from the 32nd century, you think they'd kind of know all this stuff. I guess no, you could have well, just had... No, my premise, is, yeah. my premise is start this show with a lost ship from a previous time period just start it like that. Like start from after they come through the wormhole. 
Yeah. And that's what I was saying. So they would still be a ship from the past, but we didn't get all that. Past. I'm saying if they okay. never, if if this was season one of Discovery, it would it would have been really as just as powerful a season as it is now. It's st- it really stood yeah. on its own. I thought. Yeah, I, I could see how you could make that work. I, you wouldn't want it to be all weird. You'd you'd want it to look like these guys stepped right out of an episode of the Next Generation. This is absolutely the Star Trek we know. Suddenly in a whole new world, so that we don't, so that we feel we've got, uh, we can get on board with this crew immediately. Oh, that's the tactical officer. You know, blah blah blah. There's the holodeck. Um, I mean, that would work for a lot of the characters because a lot of them like don't have much development. The like the the secondary characters. Yeah. But let me ask this before before we move on to, to Brian's uh, thoughts, if, if I can just ask a question. Uh, do y'all think that there was any essential character development for, like, Michael or, or Saru or Tilly or Stamets, you know, the, the, the more central characters? Is there any essential character development in the first two seasons that would, would have, have been lost if, if we just skip past those and tell people to start you in know I, I think so Tilly's Tilly has been on a journey I think you could stage it so that um it would still work you know with Starfleet Boys notion with with a little retooling but you know I I, I think that we've we've watched Saru grow we've watched uh Michael grow and sometimes I feel like they're somewhat inorganic growth spurts <laughs> uh you know um but and and for sure Tilly but um but it does feel like it has been a journey, and so I, I kind of yeah. wouldn't want to lose that. Right. I, yeah. There's a few things that are more powerful because of the past two seasons. Like, for example, uh, uh, Burnham and Book feels better to me because we've had such a shitty relationship experience for poor Burnham, uh, you know, in season one where you know, she's dating a psycho who's going to kill her. And then, you know, so like to see her finally happy. And then I think the whole uh, power dynamic between uh saru and um burnham uh works better knowing what came before as well i i do think now that you bring it up saru i think to be i don't think i would have uh, i love saru i don't know if i would have loved him if i'd started with season three i think i would have just said oh this is the wussy captain and we're just waiting around for michael burnham to take over because clearly she's the hot shit uh, whereas having seen Saru in season one or two and getting to see how he can succeed and what he's good at, uh, I was actually quite, would have been quite happy with him continuing to remain captain, uh, for season four. Uh, so there's a character I think that really would have been, they would have had to restructure things heavily to get me to really root for Saru, uh, and, and understand his whole alien background and all of that. And, and, yeah, they would have had to rework a lot of stuff to make Saru work if they were starting with season three. And and to Dig's point, like yeah, Unification three wouldn't have been as good without the other with it, without season two and season one establishing a human raised on Vulcan and being the daughter of Sarek and the sister of Spock. Certainly the, oh, I'm the daughter of Spock thing would have, or not the daughter, <laughs> the, the sister. sister of Spock would have seemed incredibly <laughs> random if they dropped that in, the, if season three was the first season. I mean, it, it was kind of weird in season one, but boy, would it have been weird in season three. <laughs> what, what about it's Ian Mays says that the spore drive wouldn't make sense if you start with season three. Yep. I don't know if that's, yeah. if I agree with that, Ian, but, but I think you're no, right. I've, it makes more sense. It, it took a few episodes to explain that in season one yeah season the spore drive doesn't exactly make sense period so (laughs) it it needs all the help it can get (laughs) if somebody read uh read a little synopsis of the first two seasons a couple paragraphs they could probably get pretty up to date for and start with season three though but they'd miss all that good anson mount stuff 
But there, we're going to get it's tons true. of good Anson yeah. Mount, Ethan Peck, and uh, Rebecca Romaine stuff pretty soon. Yeah. As I yep. usually forget, yeah. but now I'm reminding you. <laughs> I, I do think what you, Father, you you said that said that originally they were going to go straight from the uh, the the mirror universe into the future was an early plan for Discovery's season one. I think that could have worked. Yeah, yeah. I think they. I mean, I like season two a lot, but I can't imagine a world where we kind of skipped that, and it still probably would have worked fairly well. Uh, without too many problems but yeah the main reason that they postponed that i think was just to do the pike and spock stuff in season two and they told like a story that wasn't all that interesting with the the red angel and then with control in section 31 Uh, but we got all that cool like pike and enterprise stuff so i guess it works as like a strange new worlds prequel and uh but but yeah i i think i think that discovery definitely has more potential now is a 32nd century show that it did as a 23rd century show. And a year ago, I wouldn't have thought that I would, I would be admitting to that now, but Brian, what was your overall take on season three? Um, honestly, I had, uh, well, I, I can't say I had this idea. I, um, but when I, I, I watched the first season of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda and I liked it a lot, but I also thought this could have been an amazing Star Trek series. Um, and I, I would have loved to seen this done in as full on canonical Star Trek rather than off brand Star Trek. That was, you know, something I thought was, and I wanted something new after Deep Space Nine aired. Uh, I also had an idea of going back to the beginning and showing the first explorations of Starfleet, but Enterprise did that so badly that I, I kind of, I don't feel like it actually got that itch scratched. Um, but this, so essentially this was the Star Trek series I'd been waiting for ever since uh, Deep, uh, Deep Space Nine went off the air. Something really new, something very different, such, something that really shakes things up just in the same way Deep Space Nine really shook things up. Uh, and I was really excited that we were uh, about everything that I'd seen in the trailers and, and hinting at for season three. And I think I, I feel like I got it all. Everything that I was excited about was actually there in season three or has at least been strongly promised in season four. So yes, I, I love this season. Definitely my favorite season of discovery might be my favorite season of this new generation of Trek. I don't know. I like Picard a lot, but it's, this is this, I don't know. I probably like this better. It was certainly more smooth and consistent. I felt than Picard. This, this was great. I, I just, I more please. So I kind of agree with uh, that uh, post. You just uh, brought up from a uh, Diggs Briarthorn uh, fathery says that uh, talking about the secondary cast on, <laughs> on discovery says the secondary cast is well featured. Uh, Reese, Bryce, Detmer, Owoshkin, and Nilsson are tertiary cast at best. They are tiny rungs above uh, DeSalle, Kyle, Riley, and Leslie on TOS. <laughs> That's the best way to think of them, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Not only did they manage, did season three manage to add a bunch of new wonderful characters to the show, they also managed to take those kind of quasi-lower deckers and give them more to do, I think, than we'd ever really seen them do in season one or two. And that was impressive that we not only got new characters, but the old char- the old background characters got more time to shine. Um, I, I, I wouldn't have thought they would have been po- that, that that would have been possible. I was at the Star Trek Las Vegas panel when the Discovery actors were on stage and the uh, uh, Owasikan and Reese actors were saying how they would like to do more actiony stuff, and Michelle Paradise was there in the room, 
and uh, you know she was like listening to them, and um, oh, and then like in here in, in season three we get to see them have like that cool knife fight in the mirror universe. Their their <laughs> mirror universe counterparts are like fighting to the death to see who who will be chief of security on on the Charon. And they also had like cool actiony stuff to do in in the finale when they were you know the SWAT team running around on the Discovery trying to recapture the the ship. Yeah, they, those guys got to bust out double guns. Yeah, I, I like I, that. That was cool that I had the experience of like see them say that in front of the showrunner, and then she takes note of it and then goes and makes it happen. I thought that was cool to yeah. see all yeah, that. You got to see the full scope of uh, of a uh, from uh from rough draft to completion. Yeah. Uh, Dave, what about you? Give us your thoughts on Star Trek Discovery season 3. Uh if memory serves, I think in that first episode it started off a little bit rough for me. I wasn't uh, wild about the uh Burnham kickoff uh although it had it, it was a it was kind of an energetic episode. But but I eased into it pretty happily uh after that and finding it um one of the stronger seasons overall, uh, maybe at least up until the end. <laughs> um, and and I do think that the 32nd century is going to prove to be the right home for Discovery. Uh, before that happened, we had uh, talked about how, you know, I, I like, honestly, I was a little bit worried about both uh, the, the early question of can they make it that far in the future and still seem like the Trek we know with warp nacelles and phasers and tricorders and stuff. <laughs> um, and, and But also... Was it going to be okay to chart that canonical future for Trek so far out that is going to be the Trek canon future for, you know, from for, forevermore from here on? Uh, and I was like, well, what if they fuck it up? <laughs> then, they, then everybody is tied into that. You know, Picard and uh, any other show that they do in between is going to have to be sort of leading up to this. Um, and, and I, but I think that they, that, that big thing they pulled off. Um, and I, and so I really have to compliment them for that along the way. I think that some of the stuff, uh, they did sort of what disco does sometimes, which is they didn't explore. They were more interested in exploring, I think, character stuff and they weren't exploring some of the ideas like their, uh, scarcity, uh, post burn future or, uh, you know, the, the nature of Osiris kind of very, you know, I'm going to say not just Morley Gray. She was a bad person, but but she played an interesting role, and I think they could have gone deeper with her. Um, I, I think that they brought up like the traumatic uh, effect of it all on Detmer early on that kind of got resolved in a sort of hasty way. A, a lot of that stuff, uh, that sort of bugged me, and it all seemed to kind of come to a head a bit at the end. I actually, I also wasn't wild about them diverting from the, um, uh, what do you call it, to the to the mirror universe for two episodes. Uh, there was there was stuff I liked in there, but I was still not. I wish they hadn't done it. It it, it did feel like it was purely a setup for for that, and you know didn't didn't really help the season overall. Uh, and then it ended with the season finale. I did not care for. So so uh, unfortunately, it was like, uh, but but the getting there was pretty great. Uh, much of the time I was enjoying myself and and thinking that uh, I really liked the characterizations and stuff. I think I, I didn't quite where the chessboard was at the end. I thought that the um, Emerald Chain, you know, was like, oh, they've dissolved without Osira. I didn't buy into that. I kind of hope that next season they will reveal that that is not the case, maybe. Yeah, it's good to have a, a bad guy. Like like the TOS had the, the Klingons and the Romulans. Uh, you know, it's, it's good to and have like, a default I can't bad believe guy. that the 
as much of an infrastructure as I presume they've built up over what decades that they, you know, that you can take out the leader and it's gone. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And she wasn't even a leader. She was a part of a, a a particular syndicate. Yeah. What what was, she was minister. Uh, I, I would like to see maybe the, the Emerald chain kind of like rearranged now. And maybe we get like another big baddie. Who's maybe the next time we get like an Endorian. Or uh, maybe like a Ferengi. Maybe there's I'd like be, this. Like... I'd be happy to see any of that stuff. I do, you know. They actually, we we talked about this. They straight up dropped the word capitalism. She was endorsing capitalistic uh, rescue efforts uh, in that next to uh, next to last episode. Mm-hmm. And I I wouldn't have minded if they had engaged with that a little bit more. You know, talked about like, oh, could would it work as an interim thing? You know, uh, kind of these uh, these tough questions. Uh, you know, could, could Star Trek step back from its socialistic perspective in order to jumpstart you know the economy of the galaxy? Do they want you know all of that stuff? I think I would have been a little bit more interested in, but they were a little. It was all more character centric at the end. I don't know. I like <laughs> on one level, I'm happy to see Burnham in the command spot, but I was happier to see Saru. Uh, in that spot so uh, i i actually i have to think uh, even more about this uh, you know before the next series before season four starts uh but it, when i talk about the good stuff i'm very happy with it uh when i think about how it ended i'm like oh they kicked me in the nuts at the end <laughs> but uh... <laughs> yeah they you know they can make it up to you next season by the first bridge that we see in a 32nd century uh, Federation starship is just a lounge with couches and the computer just does everything. Like they actually just sit around and, and talk and stuff like that. Like Gene Roddenberry envisioned for TNG. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say that was what TNG, Roddenberry originally wanted for the bridge. It literally had couches. couches. That would explain the hotel lobby style. Yeah. Um, uh, PJ, what, what you got? What's your take? Well, I think each season is a little bit better than the last, so I guess logically season four will be a little bit better than season three. It's a show that I've always had the attitude where I could just take it or leave it, but like if it gets renewed, I'm like, ah, cool, let's see what happens next. But after season three, it's the first time I really want to, I think they have the potential to really go into the classic explore strange new worlds in the 32nd century i think that makes total sense you do realize another show is staking out the strange new worlds territory <laughs> exactly <laughs> and i think that's the form that's the formula they should go with because they've been experimenting up until now with like season one and season two didn't quite know what they were doing in my opinion but they managed to pull something off this one i think they desperately wanted to go to a future where canonical issues uh, didn't overwhelm the writing staff, I guess. So they could go to a place where they could create the new canon. And, you know, the technology that they show in this season doesn't exactly feel that far into the future. It almost feels like the 27th or 29th century. You know what I mean? Well, they hit a speed bump. Yeah, it's like... (laughs) But I can understand, you know, with the burn. And, you know, the burn... Like that mystery box stuff, it doesn't interest me anymore. I think they should just eliminate uh, overarching season season long mysteries that get resolved at the I very end. And by the that. time that happens, we've already most people have already guessed. Like in the Sukal episode, 
we already knew it was like, or most people figured it was the grief of a child that caused the burn. And then that reveal in the finale was like so anticlimactic. So, I mean, I like most of the episodes. I don't like episodes three and four at all. Uh, I don't like Unification 3. What were episodes 3 and 4? Uh, people of Earth people of Forget Earth, Me Not. And Forget oh. Me Not. But, you know, I, I didn't have as much to complain about this season as I did previous seasons. Yeah, you did. And that's a good sign. <laughs> you know, one thing I liked about The Burn, which was, yes, was overall a kind of a disappointing mystery that seemed only important because Burnham decided it was important. Um is that I did like, and I wish they had honestly explored more, and I think they still could, the idea of Starfleet trying to do what it does with fewer resources, uh, and maybe encountering some old Trek civilizations with which we're familiar, and and finding out sort of, I mean, we, we saw, we did see it with the, um, the Trill, uh, but I wanted to kind of see how it affected them, how, you know, if the, if the Federation can't show up and just promise amazing resources to everybody, well, what can they do? You know, what... What can they do if they're desperate? What you know if they if they have to be even more innovative than they've ever been before in order to extend a helping hand into the galaxy? Yeah. And I would like to see. I hope that basically the introduction of spore drive stuff at the end of season one, where they're you know helping out, you know, get moving moving supplies to different parts of the galaxy, doesn't essentially mean the difficulties of the burn are over. I'd like to see it still trickling down and interesting effects of it in season or in the next season of this mm. season four can, can i add something onto that is that i i really like in the final scene of, of the final episode of season three when they're going to make dilithium runs to you know i guess resupply some of these worlds and tilly says okay up on the itinerary it looks like we have five non-federation and two federation worlds to deliver to and then one star base i like that they're not just like bribing people to like you know rejoin the federation with our you don't have to be part of the syndicate yeah, yeah they're yeah. like they're like giving it to like other people that need it and i i i like that it's not just like oh we found dilithium now people are gonna like us because you yeah, know we'll yeah. give you dilithium if you join the federation rebuilding the federation should be like uh should take like a little bit more effort and a little bit more work and a little bit more creativity and I want that to be in season four. They yeah. should re they should rename the show for season four Star Trek Delivery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of like Amazon. Yeah, I will Star say to, to PJ's point about the the some stuff being over perhaps overly foreshadowed. I feel like since season one and two to me felt like it was not properly foreshadowing its its stuff very much at all i guess Lorca's reveal worked well but a lot of stuff in those two seasons of discovery i felt they didn't set up properly they just kind of seemed to come out these twists and stuff would come out of left field a lot of times and so i guess a lot of times in those first two seasons i didn't know what this is supposed to mean i didn't know which what thing i'm supposed to pay attention to and i didn't know what sort of show or what sort of story we're trying to tell in season three, I always felt I knew what sort of show we were trying, uh, what sort of story we were trying to tell, and, and what sort of things we should be paying attention to. And maybe they overdid the foreshadowing to the point where the reveal, uh, the reveal of their mysteries, which were certainly the number of which were dialed down, um, the reveal of them was a little predictable. But I, 
I like that better than some of just the weird gonzo stuff that they came up with uh, as far as reveals in some of the other episodes that I just felt were like, okay, where the hell did that come from? Uh, it at least made sense. And so I, 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 I kind of enjoyed the fact I, I kind of, I, I'm willing to forgive them if it was perhaps a little overly predictable uh, just because it, it felt more well-constructed. I just want to say one last thing about what I really like about this season. And it's just the excessive use of light flare and just going too crazy with the camera <laughs> all the time and trying to be so dynamic and so clever, they've toned that down significantly in this season. And things are framed much better. The cinematography in general is uh, more reminiscent of Picard, way, yeah. which I don't like Picard, but I'll give it that. It, it is well it is well shot. So They, they had think... to get out a little bit of fanciness with some spinning cameras in that season finale, though. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I can't pronounce his name, but that director loves doing that. If you watch every episode he's directed, he does that almost in every it's his one. Signature move. Yeah. And, yeah, and he's, like... he's the head director, so he's the one who sets up like all of the toys and techniques for the other directors to be able to mm-hmm. use. <laughs> um, but... I, I tell you what, I can't wait till they use the volume on Star Trek. Period. Like that technology. Well, I'm, I, I'm hoping really I'm awesome. hoping that they can use that. The, we're talking about yeah. the the AR wall that they use in the in the other Star franchise on their TV show now is going to be oh. a, a, or is currently being adopted. Uh, they're they're they've either already set it up. Where they last I heard they were working on it. They were shooting other things right now, and then they were about to start using that. That was a, a week or two ago when I heard that. So they might be using it now up in Toronto on on Discovery season four. I uh, I think it's also uh, it was either Jill or Stress Free K that pointed out how like uh, how crazy or serendipitous it was that Discovery just lined up with this kind of like crazy real life year. And I was even yes. thinking like as I was rewatching. And just reflecting further, like, even just the whole thing about the burn being this thing that, like, you know, uh, was caused, but that, you know, the, the like, you know, it's like patient zero, right? Like, <laughs> in a weird way, right? Like, and it so, isolated, uh, <laughs> it isolated people throughout the, yeah. the galaxy. Yeah, and it isolated people <laughs> and, like, you know, it's not an infection of, of but it, it, it did eradicate technology. It set people back, like, you know, a year, some people saying realistically, we're really going to be set back like a couple or maybe three years. And, you know, there's people that aren't experiencing the full, you know, school experience, like kids that aren't going to experience the full school experience. Yeah. Like they're in that, uh, they're in the Detmer place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're, there's all kinds of milestones and just normalities that we've gotten used to, and then all of a sudden that's been disrupted. So what's the next? And it's going to shape the next hundred years of of humanity. Period. Like this this pandemic, this burn, if you will, <laughs> in real life. So it just lined up really well with its themes, like to to be able to reflect what's going on. I know that was a stretch to compare the burn to the pandemic, but oh, no, that, I, well, no. Like I think I think that's very apt. Yeah, I was yeah. going to make the same point here in my notes that that they they made a series they made the season about connections and lack of connections and the importance right, of right. connections and that is kind of what for a lot of people that's what covid turned not not for everyone but for a lot of people covid's the biggest effect of covid is the severing of connections. Yeah, the and the isolation that a lot of people have felt. And I just want to say that like having all of the Star Trek to talk about the last 12 months and uh, doing doing text track with uh, with all of you and with all of our audience and everyone who 
is, has been part of the, the conversation or even people that just listen to us. You know, it, it, it's been a, a, a really unique experience for me because this has been kind of like the 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 highlight of, of, of my week is looking forward to Friday just so I can like talk about Star Trek with everyone. And uh, it, it's definitely been the way like I've been making those those connections. And I'm, I'm kind of sad that this this is the last live stream we're going to do uh, for a while. We, we do have some new content coming out and I'll talk about that when we when we close out the show in a few minutes. But um, so, so just stay with me and I'll tell you all what's in store in the future. But yeah, this is uh, definitely like kind of closing the chapter on at the end of like this uh, 23 weeks of of Star Trek. And it's, it's, it's kind of like a bittersweet moment for me right now as we we're recording this. Um, but that ending with the, the quote from Gene Roddenberry about we're all aliens on strange new worlds. And we're really fortunate if we are able to to really communicate and connect with with just a couple other people. Uh, when, when I watched the whole season again, like this last week, like for, for whatever reason, like that ended on like a stronger note with me. And I think like more like the intended emotion and impact was, was really there uh, when I was rewatching the season as, as a whole. Yeah. I, yeah. I love that quote. And I think they did a good job. I mean, I, connections is, I, you could argue is shooting fish in a barrel as far as setting up a <laughs> reoccurring theme. Cause so much of storytelling is about the importance of connections uh, between P characters. Uh, so, you know, there's a certain Rorschach ink blot thing that you can see, Oh, this season was about connections and that season was about connection, but it's it, especially once they, they highlighted at the end of the final episode, you can look back and say, yes, this, they, they there, there's a very deliberate, consistent theme uh, about, about the importance of connections um, and the problems it causes if you don't have those connections all the way through the season. And I like that cohesiveness in a, uh, that, that I felt I was missing in season one and two of Discovery. Right. Like uh, like season one, I guess season one was about self-reflection. And it was yeah. about like owning up to your mistakes when you make mistakes and, you know, like overcoming them. And like looking at looking at the 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 man or the woman or the 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 person in the mirror, yeah. uh, you, you know, the mirror universe motif and all that. But like 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 o like owning your mistakes and 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 overcoming them. Um, that, that was kind of like the season one theme. Season two, I was told that it was supposed to be like science versus faith. <laughs> uh, uh, but okay, it, uh, if if that makes sense to you, cool. It does. It, it no, does no, not to me. Uh, that was a, that was actually about the audience having faith in the absurdity of the story, <laughs> in the absurd in the absurdity of the science of like the time oh, yeah, crystal. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. I I get it now. But season three, it does. I I love that it does have like this very clear uh, message that it's telling, and you know about like those like the, those connections, like like moving past trauma collectively as a group. And, you know, from like the very beginning, Burnham and Book, when they uh, literally crash into each other's lives and he's a loner and he doesn't want anything. To, he's like, I don't even want to know your name and stuff. But like, like, like they form this this bond, this connection uh, with with really incredibly great chemistry uh, between two good looking people because uh, it's, you know, TV and whatever. But then you have like the the crew that, that shows up when, when the ship uh, crashes into the 32nd century and and they're kind of um, collected. uh bombs that, that, that they form and you know like movie night and stuff and, and all that stuff with with colber and, and he was so great this season but but yeah like that idea of like like we're able to overcome these tragedies by banding together and that was osira's tragic flaw 
was that she she was almost there. Like she tried to forge a relationship with the Federation, and uh, she she wasn't willing to to you know negotiate with their terms, and because she wouldn't form those bonds, wouldn't form that connection. It, it led to her, I guess, downfall. And she was completely delusional. Like, completely. <laughs> and she's a sociopath, so you can't expect. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like trying to talk to Saddam Hussein. It's not going to work out. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, there is like a clear, there is a clear message. You know, like the stuff with Sukal and Saru. And about, yeah, yeah like, like this kid, this kid had like no one to cope with. And he was just isolated. And, and for them to heal the Federation... You know, I, I think the the whole idea of like how like the burn worked that like he screamed into subspace and it was like a sound wave in subspace that blew up all the dilithium. I think that's you know pretty hokey, but the the, the thematics of it that you, by Saru making and Colbert making that connection with him, that is what moved him past his trauma, and that's what allows the rest of the galaxy, you know, to to, yeah. to be to be saved. You know, it, it's it, interesting. It, it works. I, I don't know if I need. Uh season-wide thematics as much as, uh, you know, we're, we talk about it a lot, and I think I like it when it lines up, but when I think about some of the other serial shows I've liked, and, you know, we Father, we've talked about, like, Buffy or Firefly, some of those Whedon ones that they, they usually build up to some confrontation with a big bad, but if I said, well, you know, what's the what was the theme of season one of Firefly, there's a lot of stuff floating around in there, rebuilding yourself, um, suffering through loss or whatever, but I, I don't know that I necessarily am as worried about coherent season themes as I am strong writing throughout. And that's that's I think what I, I was I was stumbling over the writing stuff sometimes on the show. Well, I I think if you're going to do a story arc over the season, then the theme thing becomes a lot more important. I mean, you know, what mm-hmm. is the theme of, uh, of 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 a season of Next Generation? That's probably pretty hard to pin down. Uh, and 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 I I think anything you saw there would just be sort of a a a, a bit of an unconscious pattern on the ha- behalf of the writers. Rather, well, than if you looked at like something a little more modern that that uses the serial format, like a Game of Thrones or any of the big HBO Game of Thrones doesn't show like season by season stories though. Yeah, it's Game of Thrones comes as like one long eight season story. Yeah. Right, but I think you actually could still pick out themes that uh, that rise up during the seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, to some degree, Discovery, uh, although uh, it's not planning to, you know, uh, like have like a big season finale, I guess in that sense, will ultimately do that same thing. It will kind of be the life of these crew members over the course of seven seasons or whatever we get out of it. Um, I guess what I would just say is like, it still seems to me that uh, a, a, a coherent season-wide theme isn't what I would want, uh, like as the driving force of the show. It doesn't. It doesn't matter to me as much. I certainly can appreciate how beautiful it is. I, I will admit, you don't need that to make a good season, and and arguably, it, it doesn't automatic. It doesn't. And I think you're right. You that alone doesn't automatically make a good season though it might make the season more forgivable for a person like me i might be more willing to overlook this and that problem if they at least oh well they did do this other beautiful thing with this story uh yeah yeah oddly despite this being star trek at its most weird like oh we're in this whole new century all the rules are different it also felt more like star trek 
comfort food in a way in that there's a very strong sense of, no, no, these are the good guys. They're going to come up with a good yeah. solution. There is this this sense of the, the, the Federation. You never really doubt that the Federation is a force for good. Yeah. Um, I was about to bring that up. Yeah. One of my favorite things of the season was the lack of Sinister in Starfleet. Yes. I was so... I, I personally agree when on the rewatch I'm seeing like now that I'm more relaxed, but I have to say that discovery and, and conditioned me so hard to like be sus- suspicious that I was waiting for that moment. <laughs> Do you remember? I said, uh, if Admiral, Va- I didn't think he was really bad, but if Admiral Vance was bad, there's probably going to be a scene where, uh, him and Osira meet up and like in front of everybody else are really hostile. And then they go on a, then they go in a room and they instantly start doing it. It's like, yeah, baby, our plan is coming to fruition. Yeah, just like Morel and Tyler. Yeah. Um, I I was thinking about it. I was like, when was the last time we had the Federation presented this unambiguously good? And I guess Star Trek Beyond, the, the Federation was unambiguously mm. good, a force for good in that I don't know if anyone all that much cared about the Federation's ethical qualities in Star Trek 09. And certainly we had all sorts of problems with the Federation in Star Trek Into Darkness. So then you end up kind of going all the way back to like Voyager uh, to find something like that. Um, and I thought that was, yeah, we've had that one blip of, uh, because even discover or even lower decks, as we talked about, kind of had this message about it concluded with this message that the Federation has a tendency to drop these balls after they get them. Um, and that was, uh, and show that Starfleet is kind of incompetent, um, in, in, in lower decks, uh, that, that, that we don't get that. So I was I guess perhaps because the setting was so new, they wanted to give us some stuff that was very reassuring. Um, but I think that's what we all needed this year. So yay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can, I can definitely agree with that. And uh, what PJ is saying earlier about like the new technology that they added for this 32nd century was one of the things that made me a little bit nervous, but they, I think handled a lot of that. Well, I would just like to see like a little bit more of it. Like they gave us, what all did they give us? They had like the, the floating chairs, the uh, programmable matter, the uh, the tricom badge—I thought was like really cool. Yes. Detached nacelles. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do miss. Uh, like I, I've been rewatching Enterprise. Oh, actually, sorry, watching Enterprise. A lot of the episodes are new, and the space battles are pretty good. And and there's just like a lot of close-ups and detail. And you know, the CG's starting to fall apart after so many years, but. But I have to admit that I do. That would be my one big thing for season four, and my one big continuing critique of Discovery is that there's just not enough ship stuff. And I know, and I know, like I, I, I'm happy to trade it for like the really great drama and everything like that. But I think we can just get maybe like two percent more, dial it up to like two (laughs) percent more, and just give us maybe one or two real good close-up beauty shots of these other ships not just the disco uh yeah that was one of the things that made me frustrated was when they show us all these 32nd century ships for the first time and it's like the lights are turned (laughs) off it's like i want to see them like what's the point of like barely showing them you know uh but there's there's more stuff to look forward to in season four i guess i'd I'd like to see a lot more of that type of stuff 
We we also get to see that they've made the vo- uh, discovery bigger on the inside than on the outside with their we new technology. We get to see that. <laughs> we got to see that for sure. You know what though? If you if you cut out a few shots of the uh, the bigger on the inside uh, turbo lift room or city yeah. or planet the yeah. turbo lift planet yeah uh, if, you, if you cut that out and then if you cleaned up a little bit stuff and die uh die trying i didn't like a lot of the stuff that happened on that seed vault ship and then if you didn't try to go like as crazy big action movie stuff with like the fight with osira and then like well what if the warp core explosion doesn't blow us up like like dave was uh, poking fun at uh, last week that that really irked me too but like if you just like clean up like those few things, I, I this would have been like a a really really great uh, episode or I'm sorry season of Star Trek for me. Those are are kind of like the only criticisms I had upon like watching for uh, another another go around. You know, I was just right. thinking. I have, I have a question about the burn. Um, was the burn? Uh, uh, you know, like I, I understand the causes, kind of hazy as they were uh, in the show uh, of it, but is there uh, was it? the result of any sort of incompetence or hubris or fallibility, or was it just bad luck? Just bad luck is what I got. Cause I, I find the just bad luck is kind of a bad story. <laughs> but if, if you actually pay attention, there's this idea that they didn't go rescue that ship and that oh, the right. kids That's sat right. around on that ship for at least that ship sat around for at least four years before the burn was triggered and they had four years to rescue that ship and they didn't. And you could, they don't really hang a lantern on it and say, ah, darn, if only we'd done that. But, but if you actually look at the story, they tell that's clearly where the ball was dropped. Why did they not rescue it? We don't know. There, there is a ship in range. There is, there is a ship going to rescue it and they never got to it. And maybe it was lost in the nebula, but we don't really know what happened. And then like the burn happened and, yeah, unfortunately, those are all all that haziness means that it's. I feel like as a triggering incident, like it needed to like, it needed to have something that was like a more of like, that had a dramatic element to it as far as someone clearly through neglect, yeah, uh, ineptitude, uh, bitterness, anger, you know, something that that they that that we were were maybe now seeing that had been solved for would, uh, in the thirty second century. Would this have fixed it? For you if they had had a if they we looked up in the records and starfleet decided it's because they said they were already running short on dilithium before the burn right um if they'd had starfleet decided it wasn't economical to send a rescue ship i think that would have been interesting i mean Mm. it it probably would have been understandable and not really a um even even that would have been something where i wouldn't have been like well starfleet starfleet clearly screwed up more like, ah, God, that, they were in a hard spot and maybe they were saving somebody else elsewhere. I, well, I was just going to say, I think it's curious that the Vulcans for so long attributed their experiments with SB-19 to the cause of the burn. And even even after it was kind of like determined that it was not likely. So I wonder if, I wonder if um, indeed there was some, like what you were saying, uh, you know, like there was already a strain and so you know all those things caused the burn right like it just it's just unfortunate that it happened to be sukal who was the you know the the like the victim of it but 
and and then that's the redemption i guess like at the end is they're they're rewarded with a dilithium planet <laughs> you know like it's like it, it's like... <laughs> well that's kind of like a just a convenient fix which is not great but i think for yeah. me it actually like works better as it being uh, bad luck as it if that's like the theme is like like overcoming tragedy i mean like sometimes like bad shit like sometimes there's there's like a, a global pandemic and i mean yeah like there's people at fault for like making it worse yeah. but uh largely like a lot of it was sadly like unpreventable yeah um it's uh, and and sometimes uh there's just going to be like sad things that happen that you're it's more important of not what caused it but how you react to it yeah yeah i can agree with that I guess the reason I suggested that is there is another sort of undercurrent of dilithium as money and the importance of money versus the kind of socialism of the Federation. And if the Feder if this was a, a brought about because the Federation made an economic decision rather than a socialist decision, then then that would have sort of thematically played back into some of the stuff Osira brought to the table with her negotiations and stuff. Yeah, I think that, that could have made cool. for if if they were doing a deeper dive with Osira in the in those last few episodes. I think that could have made for a more potent finale. Uh, you know, basically the the reveal about um, Sokal's uh, tragedy would go beyond just the mystery of you know what what caused this angst for him uh, to have some consequences, something to to bite to to chew on as far as thinking about their current status and what makes the federation the federation and what you know what's right versus what's economical and you know i i think i, I would have liked more wrestling with that and that that i think i would have preferred that well just to like close things out i just kind of like to ask like if anyone has like anything that like they they really loved or that like they really hated in the season and then we'll just go ahead and um wrap things up but we actually have like a guest has entered the room. What? We're actually uh, now joined by... He knows uh, a lot doc- about Burns. By Dr. Uh, Tolian Soren <laughs> from uh, from Star Trek Generations. Who we, we know he knows a lot about trilithium. I don't know what he knows about dilithium and the burn that caused it. Don't know. Uh, I'm a fan of Soren. Yeah, uh, Doctor, uh, l- let us know what, what, what your thoughts are on, on what we're talking about. Well... I don't like the burn. No, I can't do it. My, my voice, my, my voice is groggly. You were doing it. You were doing it. You were oh, doing wow. it. Dilithium is the fire in which we burn. Yeah. <laughs> just like uh, I should have done that. Just my my um my my final thoughts, I guess, are that I, like some of the things I really liked was I I loved Terra Firma, even though it was like detached from the the main story arc i i love the way that discovery handles the mirror universe i know some people does, don't get into that stuff but i i love it um i like the giorgio stuff and i'm actually looking forward to the section 31 show now i never thought that character could be redeemed for me but now i'm i'm really curious to see what they do with her and i, I love seeing the guardian of forever and like using the the continuity like that um i also really liked bringing back the trill for the like the same reasons and in that episode, I thought it had like a strong opening with that like action-packed adventure with with Michael and Book, and just Book was such a a, a treasure this season. I I think everyone loves him. I haven't seen like anyone. People love to complain about Star Trek on the internet. I haven't seen like one bad word about Book. Everyone seems to love him yeah. universally. So so that's but cool. you know I think some people and I, and I do kind of agree with this. They miss roguish Book from from the early episodes, and and I kind of do too. <laughs> 
I didn't see a huge change in his yeah, personality that's what between. Well, I guess the first He's episode not... pushed us to want him to to seem more Dave, roguish Dave than he was. The, Dave wants the. I do not want your acquaintance. <laughs> that's the, no, he, was, he was an asshole in the first episode. No, I like I like him at the end where he becomes like this. Uh, I like that idea of like Starfleet when like these people that are back from like Starfleet's prime. When they're brought in like this future where Starfleet has been like kicked in the balls and is weakened, they're like so cool that like this guy Book, who all he knew was like Starfleet is like the failure, like this remnant of the past. He's like, oh, th- this is like actually really awesome. I want to be a part of what these people are doing. Yeah. And then we he he ends up with like a role on the ship. I guess he's like the backup spore man yeah. now. He's like Stamets' backup or whatever. We'll see that explored in season four, I suppose. But he also gets um, to fly the Delta Flyer. <laughs> yeah, his his ship. I, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't have a name. The Nautilus. No, it's called the That's Nautilus. That's not its name. That's not its How name. How do you know? Because they only. Do you know when they say that in the in the show? Yes. When do they say it? Uh, when he's requesting permission to go to the sanctuary planet, uh, yes. he says Nautilus. Wait, what are you gonna say? He, well, that's like part of his security password, I think, because they sure. never say that word again. Like Memory Alpha just calls are it bookshit. Sure? Like, yeah, no <laughs> one else right. calls it the Nautilus. Because I thought the same thing too, but. Uh, I think this is part of like a security password. Nautilus is a pretty cool name. Star Trek Discovery, by the way, his ship comes up. Just (laughs) just saying, lots of people think that. Yeah, Uh, I I, no, that's what I was hoping was the case, but now it 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 seems to not be. I I like I like the stuff with book. The things that I didn't like, I think, was kind of the the way that they were kind of meandering Burnham's trajectory. How like I, you know, she's been like this courier with book. And and then she doesn't know if she wants back on the ship, and I I really liked her like not being like the the tragic character who's like depressed and crying all the time and has just like you know the weight of the world on her shoulder like oh I started this Klingon war like oh no like I I've ruined my brother's life and like all this I I I liked her being like a little bit of a happier character but then they're like oh but like she can't get her shit together wants to break the rules but like oh now she's actually like the best person to command the ship or whatever I. I'm not sure what to expect of Burnham as the captain, but I think it's kind of a clean slate also, and that's going to be up to season four to to define for me. I just I just wish that would have been like a little bit of a clearer art. I did think after spending some time rolling around Captain Michael Burnham in my head, I realized she did earn it. She again and again came up with the big ideas, and those the, uh, the ideas were on a scale that she needed to be a freaking captain of a ship to properly execute them. So, and, and the ideas were important. What she achieved with this uncovering the source of the burn was crucial. Even if they hadn't found a planet full of dilithium, it still would have been very good to diffuse that potential bomb from going off again. Um, and, and so she was making the right call that we need to fight, figure this out and make sure it doesn't happen again. And and it ended up reaping more benefits, but that's just kind of a symbolic storytelling thing that if you, if you do the right thing, you'll be rewarded uh, in ways you weren't expecting. And, and so I was like, I, I, my frustration is more of not that Michael doesn't deserve to be captain or doesn't probably wouldn't function better in Starfleet if she has the autonomy of her own ship, but that I really liked Captain Saru, and I don't want to give that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like Saru a lot. Uh, he was a very different kind of captain, and I, I enjoyed yeah. his captaincy as well. Um, I, I do think Burnham is interesting because in some ways she's closer to Kirk than we've yeah. seen in a little while in her kind of maverickness. She's kind of like Kirk and Spock combined into one person. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
Oh, by the way, I, I, I do want to throw out, even though it had some elements that ended up uh, kind of falling apart a little bit, I liked the Emerald Chain. They had a dope name. They brought Andorians mm. and Orions uh, back to the f- forefront, you know, kind of keying clearly off of the yeah. uh, Orion syndicate of old, uh, but, you know, at a, at, a, at a new level. I wish they had done more with them, but I liked I, I, I liked them as a sort of persistent threat and um, – uh, throughout, uh, you know, running their uh, uh, Amazon assembly lines and, uh, and all that on the planet. Yeah, they have like the slave workers and everything. Like, yeah, all, like I, I think they could have leaned further into that, and I would have been happy. Yeah, how great would it have been if the Emerald Chain had a logo like the Amazon Arrow, but in green? That's like 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 that smiley face. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like a like a happy chain link of sorts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another another thing I can compliment the show on is, like, some of the things I think they did successfully, like, foreshadow, like Brian was mentioning, like, I don't know if y'all remember, but in some of the early episodes, I was like, you know, something's going on with Tilly. Like, her and Saru are having, like, these conversations, and they don't feel like Captain and Ensign. It's almost like Captain and First Officer. And it kind of, when they did do, like, that big crazy thing, like, make the Ensign acting First Officer, I thought they actually had laid some groundwork to, like, make that a more natural thing. So, you know, <laughs> fathery. On on top of that, I think they also reacted well to it. Like they were the show itself within the show, the characters were kind of perturbed by it. So I thought it was upon rewatch, it it, it lands better. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think they 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 put in more thought and effort into like some of the little stuff like that. Yeah. Um. Than in seasons one and two. Yes, I I think as far as. I mean, my favorite episode was the one where they go to Trill. What, what's the title? The Forget Me for, Not. Forget Me Not. I adored that episode. It might very well be my favorite episode of of this new generation of Trek thus far. Uh, and I'll admit that a lot of it's just it's pushing my buttons of the favorite things I like to see in my science fiction. But uh, uh, and so I, whether it earned it or maybe or whether it was just a, a unique form of Brian fan service uh, is a question, a fair question. But I loved that one. I, I loved I didn't think there was a bad episode. I, I would do, was not wildly disappointed with the final episode. I, I don't think it was their strongest one, but I I liked all the episodes that this season i didn't have a major problem with anything other than that stupid turbo lift scene um <laughs> i and and i like the first uh, the first two episodes i thought were very strong um i liked how they ad- handled the reintroduction of the federation I, I i largely felt the season was kind of going straight from strength to strength i guess my Book's home planet was the episode the episode that felt most paint by numbers to me. It wasn't even bad. It just mm. kind of felt like it was very mechanically unfolding in a very predictable way. Yeah, the sanctuary. And they keep teasing like more to Book's backstory. Like he keeps talking about like there's the story about how I got my name, but I'm not going to tell you yet. You have to mm. wait till season four. And maybe maybe that episode will get much more interesting once we know the uh, more about Book and his brother and all of that stuff and how that's all went i would like to know if there's more than 10 people on their planet <laughs> <laughs> you know there's a lot of of questions about season four you know what's saru's role gonna be how is, is michael gonna be captain and stuff but uh, i think in some ways even though like i like lower decks more than discovery but in some ways i'm kind of looking more forward to discovery because i'm just curious to see you know what happens in the in the next season and the the thing I want to point out is that I, I think both of these seasons of these shows, they, they kind of end on the note that they kind of like use a, 
one of the characters on the show to kind of describe what that entire show is. Like when Admiral Vance tells Burnham uh, that story of his daughter and how like she learned to do math with pictures instead of numbers and like she did things like her way and uh, it, it, it wasn't the wrong way. It was just, that, that was just her way. And that's that's what Discovery is. Discovery does things its own way. It's unique. It's weird. It, it it's the probably the the most unique uniquest Star Trek show. I think like like even like Lower Decks, uh, animated comedy, yeah, half hour format. But Lower Decks, it does kind of feel like the same world as you know, like like Berman era Star Trek. Yeah. You know, like Picard. It, it is a guy from <laughs> yeah. Berman era. Sorry, like it's like yeah, like if we saw that guy like a couple decades later, yeah. you know. Um, so so yeah, like like I think Discovery is like like the, like the weirdest, most unique, and it's like the Michael Burnham of the Star Treks. It's like it's gonna do things its own way, and it's gonna be it is like that more emotional show, that more like cryy, like huggy, like everyone stand up and clap type, you know. But it it, it kind of just like wears its emotions on its sleeve, and it, it, even though I think it does a little bit too much of that, leans into it too much, it's not embarrassed about it. Yeah. And, you know, like with Lower Decks, it should kinda, be. You know, they get that. Yeah. You, <laughs> Well, in lower decks, you get like that conversation between Captain Freeman and, and Mariner about how like you know that's kind of like the one that's kind of like on the outskirts. That's kind of like not as much oversight. Like I don't think Alex Kurtzman is like over Mike McMahon's shoulder like he has Michelle Paradise. That's kind of like like the the little oddball. That's like 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 the the little weirdo USS Cerritos that no one's paying attention to. They I think can just kind of like go off and and do you know the crazy things it wants to do and be good at that. So they're they're kind of both uh summed up with like a description of the show itself in their in their finales you know for me the uh the it's both the strength and the weakness of uh discovery that it's a little bit meandering uh in finding its themes because it also is kind of exciting uh to me and that it means that yeah you know in a, in a few months after i get over this sting of the finale for me and maybe revisit it um i'm gonna start thinking about Oh, you know, what's what's Burnham going to be like as a captain? Oh, you know, are we going to start seeing more interaction maybe with some of the rest of the bridge crew? You know, what's Adira's role going to be in the next season? And what are they going to do with Gray? And, uh, you know, um, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, this is one of my happiest sort of things for the season is that I did really like seeing uh, Stamets and Colbert in their really pretty stable relationship and further stabilizing, I guess, as they sort of bring uh, some, uh, some adopted kids into their fold. Um, uh, and so I did really like that, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to start, you know, thinking about uh, those exciting things that we might get next season and know that whatever I think they might do is probably not going to quite be what I get, uh, no matter what, uh, it's going to surprise me. And that is kind of exciting. <laughs> For sure, and yeah, and I, I love like the 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 Colber Stamets family. Yeah. Just Doctor Colber himself, like they really figured out like some cool stuff to do with him, where he didn't have like as a huge of a role in the first two seasons. He's more of just like uh, Stamets' partner who gets killed, and then oh, he's the guy who they have to go rescue from the mycelium network. But and then he has like this weird anger issues that, and he just is an asshole the rest of the season. But like him being like the more proactive like ship's counselor guy. Like that stuff was was great. I love Doctor Colber in this third season. Yeah. I think that they showed that you can have a couple, and you don't need to dynamically break them up or kill anybody off mm -hmm. to involve them in dynamic yeah. and dramatic <laughs> situations. I well, even the thing I was most nervous about with Gray, I even liked the way they wrapped that up and kind of making it that uh, Gray is an actual entity, and that like if a if a hollow program can recognize Gray, then that means you know Gray is something more than a ghost or a 
you know, or, you know, there's, there's something to it. And I like that. And, and I think it's going to be interesting how they solve that problem. Father, I think suggested that what if it was just the computer being glitchy, that that's the way the technology was somehow able to read him or pick him up. And that's really sad, but I kind of love that because it means they'll have to work really hard to try to solve that. Well, problem. that there's an example of new tech that we have a holodeck computer that can read your mind well enough to, to extract different personalities and, and, and re and construct yeah. them. Uh, that is, there's, that's some super tech that we haven't seen in Star in Starfleet before. Well, I have some sad news to end the show on, but it's going to be followed with some good news. Uh, but there will be no text Trek podcast, uh, next week or the week after that. We're taking two weeks off. We actually we actually put out like a new podcast episode every week for 27 weeks straight. Wow. Which is the the most we've ever done uh you know weekly. Um so uh it's uh it's been a lot of fun. It's also like a lot of work for me. <laughs> I think it's like an extra like 10 hours of work every week for me. Father, like, you're you're Admiral Vance. You deserve in this a vacation. Picture. Um yeah, like I, I'm just gonna take like a little bit of time off away from away from Star Trek and like watch some other shows. Like I, I want to see Cobra Kai season three and the, a new season of like Transformers: War for Cybertron and, and maybe like read some comic books again. But uh, th- there is good news though. I, I'm probably gonna do like a live uh, Monday afternoon. Uh, just oh. just uh, just a, a weird live stream. Uh, I think PJ is gonna be there. Um, I'm not I'm not sure who else might show up. But yeah, we're just gonna talk about uh, you know what would be some ideas for like the next star Trek movie? I might just do like these casual live streams from time to time. We'll see like if people show up Monday for that. And, um, in addition to that, we will be resuming, uh, text Trek podcasts, uh, weekly for the month of February. We're going to do something really cool. Uh, still on, on Friday nights, we're going to be premiering, uh, recorded podcast videos. And they'll also be available in audio uh, format, wherever you get your podcast. We're going to have four different guests, a different guest every week for the entire month of February. Already have like the first three guests uh, scheduled to record something with us. And yeah, I'm, I'm still working on, on the fourth, but I, I'm, I'm very uh, excited and I'm looking forward to uh, bringing these people out. I don't know if I should say who they are yet, but I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and men- mention the first one. The first week of February, we will, we will have uh, my good friend Larry Nemechek will be... Mm-hmm. Uh, boarding the Starship Texas to talk about the the state of the the Star Trek franchise at this point, you know, coming off of 2020 and going into 2021. Um, and then we have like a couple other guests after that. Uh, but um, I'll go ahead and say like the next one. Next one after that, we will have Jesse Gender yeah. on board Text Trek. That's so uh, one, one of my favorite uh, Star Trek YouTubers, who's a, a very very talented content creator and also has like a very unique voice. That I, I'm glad is is added to like the, the the choir of of Star Trek fans that you know are always like screaming our opinions on the internet. I'm I'm so glad to have Jesse's voice as part of that. Uh, so I'm I'm definitely looking forward to like this new stuff we have going on. Thank you everyone though who has been like part of like this 23 week adventure and has been you know listening to us or or in the live audience. You know a lot of a lot of the people that I see regularly, uh, Stress Free K, uh, Michael Stepniak, uh, Jill Diggs, um, you know the uh, Blue uh red ketchum i I definitely wanted to mention that you know we we, this is our first season of uh uh, our first seasons i guess of um text trek where we've done you know live streams uh on fridays instead of uh recordings that you you know do post-production on and post a few days later 
And I actually, I love seeing the interacting with the comments and uh, seeing what people are thinking in real time and seeing what they say that prompts us maybe in different directions while we're, while we're talking and stuff like that. Uh, so uh, to me, that's super cool. Um, we're, we're trying to make those uh, same connections that save the universe from the burn. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And, and we'll be doing more of the stuff whenever they put out more uh, new Star Trek. Uh, I think we're going to uh, do this, uh, this live uh, format to uh, podcast on those because it is so much fun with uh the the live audience but people who listen to us later you know after the fact we appreciate you too and i'd love to get your feedback if you want to comment on the youtube videos or uh tweet at me or uh you know send me an email um yeah i, I love hearing everything that y'all have to say as well but yeah on that note uh i i think that's that's it we're gonna uh close off on this this era of text track and have like a a little two-week hiatus in the podcast episodes i'll Still do a, a stream on Monday, and we'll see what else happens. If there's any breaking news, I'll I'll put out some content to talk about that. So you know, keep keep subscribed to the YouTube channel, and you won't miss any of that. As the series finale of Star Trek: The Next Generation said, uh, "All good things dot dot dot." And uh, this the stream, uh, this twenty three weeks of of Star Trek that we have covered must uh, come to an end. Father, you're Picard in the uh, first episode of the Picard show, the I don't want the game to end. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, until next time, as always, live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at TXTrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.